Well, as we turn um, to Hebrews um, chapter 11 this morning, perhaps the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, I think we need to acknowledge something, that there are few words in the Bible more misunderstood in our world today than the word faith. Um, Just one recent example of that. Um, When Nick Clegg was elected leader of the Liberal Democrats in 2007, he became the first leader of a British political party in recent times. He openly described himself as an atheist. And at first the label didn't cause him any problems. British politics tries very hard to keep itself separate from the world of religious belief. Um, As the spin doctor Alistair Campbell famously said of Tony Blair's government, we don't do God. Um, So in a sense it wasn't a troubling label. But as the recent general election wore on, and as the Liberal Democrats looked more and more likely to do actually quite well in that election, Nick Clegg began to distance himself from the label of atheist. He knew that he needed every vote he could get, that believers had the vote. And he also knew the term atheist often put you into quite aggressive company nowadays. Think of people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. So in one interview I heard him give on the radio just before the election, um, Nick Clegg was asked outright by an interviewer, why don't you believe? And in a rather faltering way, he said the following, because I quite simply don't know whether God exists. I'm not a man of faith. Sometimes I very much wish I was, because I think having faith must be a great thing. You know, members of my family do, my wife does, my children are being brought up in her church. I think it can be a wonderful, unifying thing. Maybe it'll happen one day. See, in those words, I think, Nick Clegg covers a few misunderstandings, actually, about faith in our world today. You either have it or you don't. It's one of those misunderstandings. It's something you catch. It's a bit like chicken pox, if you like. Like chicken pox, it's probably better to catch it when you're young. It's a bit embarrassing when you get it when you're older. But it's just something that floats around and it hits certain people. And alongside that view of faith, it's also kind of seen as something vaguely positive and nice for some people to have. You get that from what Nick Clegg was saying. It's, it's a lovely thing. I wish I had it, he said. But, but actually, when it comes down to it, it's not that important. Ultimately, it doesn't make much difference. The great adage concerning faith in our time is, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it doesn't matter. Faith just isn't actually that important. But I want us to see when we look at this chapter in the book of Hebrews, just how different the writer of Hebrews take is, how different the whole of the Bible's take is on faith. It's not something inexplicable or nice or unimportant. Actually, faith is hugely important according to the writer of Hebrews. In fact... The only way to avoid the wrath and judgment of God, according to Hebrews, and the rest of the New Testament, is through faith. See, the writer of Hebrews, he's urging his readers throughout this letter to to put their faith in Jesus, their great high priest, because if they don't, they will be judged by God. Just turn back for a minute to chapter 10, verses 26 and following, where he left off. Last week, let me just read aloud these verses for us. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment 
and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These are horrific verses, verses we gladly skip over in the Bible. But this is telling us how important faith is. Without faith in Jesus, our fate will be this, the writer tells us. To fall into the hands of the living God, unprepared to meet him. Again, we've seen throughout the last few weeks, if you've been here, the writer unpacks the great benefits, the riches Jesus has won for those who trust in him. Forgiveness from all our sin by his blood, his sustaining power to keep us, a glorious new creation awaiting us. But all those benefits, he says here, are reserved for those who have faith in Jesus. If we don't have faith in him, we will not benefit from any of them. Instead, we will face God's judgment, he tells us. See, according to the book of Hebrews, faith matters. Whether or not we have it matters. It is hugely important, ultimately. And this chapter tries to unpack a bit what faith is all about and what it will look like for us if we place our trust in Jesus. And it's a really important chapter for us to hear this morning because, again, we do misunderstand that word faith so much. We think it's about us, about just a certain lifestyle choice we make. But it's far more than that, the writer tells us. It is a matter of life and death. That's what these figures in the Old Testament discovered. And that's what he wants us to see today. So turning to Hebrews 11. He begins this chapter with a definition of faith. Then he follows it with some sort of tangible examples of faith in the Old Testament. Again, after the definition, he wants us to see faith in action. He's not interested in just theory or philosophy of faith here. He wants to see faith that makes a difference in the lives of real men and women. Because that is what faith in God did for these people in the Old Testament. And that is what the writer wants to see in the lives of his readers and in everyone who trusts in Jesus. So first then, this definition of faith in verses 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So what are we going to make of this definition of faith, because I hope you see when you look at it, at first it doesn't sound that different to the understanding of faith we began with, the one so common in our secular modern world. Faith is sort of believing something without any evidence for it. That sounds like what he's saying, isn't it? It's, it's what we hope for, what we do not see. It sounds sort of like, just, just wish hard enough and you can believe anything. See, is that the faith he's describing here? Well, we need to remember something that's fairly obvious, but actually really important when we come to this verse. Hebrews chapter 11 
comes after Hebrews chapter 1. My dad is a maths teacher, so I worked that out. But Hebrews chapter 11 comes after Hebrews chapter 1. And if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 1 for a moment, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 tells us something really important. He opens this letter to the Hebrew Christians saying, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. See, the foundation for Hebrews 11 is that we live in a world where God has spoken. He's spoken through the Old Testament prophets and supremely he has spoken through his Son, Jesus. And then turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Because we actually are reminded here that we have the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and the evidence of God at work in our world. Verses 3 to 4 of chapter 2. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, by Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, the writer wants his readers to see here, there is powerful evidence for the truth of the Christian gospel, for the truth that God has revealed himself. We've got the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Verse 3, those who heard Jesus. And we also have the transformed lives of Jesus' followers, transformed, the writer tells us, by the Holy Spirit. That actually said the evidence for the gospel, look at, look at the New Testament accounts and look at Christians. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? But, but we are part of the evidence of the truth of God speaking into this world. So coming back to Hebrews 11, our hope is based on what Jesus has done for us in history, what he has promised to us in history. And our knowledge of things unseen is based on Jesus' revelation of those things to us. See, faith in the Bible it is trusting God's word to us. And specifically in Hebrews 11, it's trusting God's word about the world to come and about the world unseen. Again, if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll have seen that the, the writer of this letter, he keeps on lifting our eyes to the future to the glorious new creation Jesus has won for everyone who trusts in him. And he returns to that future again and again in this chapter. You see, verse 1 reminds us here of the challenge of the life of faith. And that is that we don't live by sight if we follow Jesus. In his word, God asks us to trust him when he speaks of things that we cannot see And things that actually right now are impossible to investigate or validate. He asks us to trust him about things that we do not see. Now, now let me be clear again this morning. Christian faith, it is not just blind faith. It's not just a leap into the dark. We've got the historical records of Jesus' life. They are reliable. But... Neither is Christian faith just a matter of weighing up the evidence and sort of opting for Christianity as the worldview that makes the most sense. Now there's a place for that sort of exploring the evidence 
for Jesus. But if our faith remains at that level, at simply being convinced by what we see of the evidence, then the writer here tells us that isn't a living faith in Jesus, according to Hebrews 11 or the rest of Scripture. Because you see, Christian faith, it's not simply about believing the right doctrines or being convinced by the evidence. It's about trusting a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. It's about believing that what he says to us can be trusted, even when we have no other way of knowing if it is the case. So God calls us to trust him that there is an unseen world, that there are spiritual realities and forces at work all around us that are every bit as real as the world we can see and touch now. God calls us to trust him when he tells us there is a devil, God's great enemy who is committed to destroying us. God calls us to trust him when he says that in the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, these Hebrew Christians are struggling. The writer says, that's because of the unseen world, because there are spiritual forces ranged against you. God calls us to trust him. That prayer makes a difference. That actually when we pray to the living God, he can transform our situation. He can draw us closer to himself. God asks us to trust him, that apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from reliance on him, we will not persevere. And God calls us to trust him when he says, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, even when it is hard to share that gospel, even when we face hostility or ridicule for doing it. God says, that's, the, that's my power at work. And I ask you to share it. Trust me on this, God asks us. See, to truly live for Jesus, the writer tells us here, we need to acknowledge that there is an unseen spiritual world of which we are all a part. And that we are all part of a, of a conflict going on in that world between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And you see, if we forget that, then we've really lost the plot. We, we will not understand what is required of us in the Christian life. So often we just make Christianity so rational, don't we, because of the world we live in. It's just all about our lives here and now. It's, it's a moral code, an ethical code. But the writer of the Hebrews says that isn't faith. Because there is a world unseen that we're part of that Jesus has triumphed over, but that we still need to struggle against. And there is a world to come that will make that struggle worthwhile. We need to believe in things unseen that God has revealed to us. Because that is faith, according to Hebrews. So in some ways we can look at verse 1 here and turn it around as a question to us. Is this the faith that you possess? 
Is this the faith that marks our life together as a church and our lives as individuals? Are you sure of what you hope for? Are you certain of what you do not see? Do you believe God when he promises you a glorious future? Do you believe God's word when it describes this unseen world going on all around us? Ultimately, the question is, are you living by faith or are you living by sight? Do you live your life as if this world is all there is? As if the only reality that matters is what we can see and touch right now? Or are you trusting in God's word to us and allowing it to shape the way you see the world and what you value in life? Because verse 2 tells us this is what the ancients were commended for. And then he turns from verse 3 onwards to these living examples of saving faith. Now, we need to be honest here. You could preach a dozen sermons on this chapter and still have loads more to say. I just want to encourage you to go away and read this chapter for yourselves and this week. It is a fantastic chapter about the character of faith. All I'm going to do this morning is focus on two of the figures in this chapter, two of the most prominent ones, Abraham and Moses. Because the writer's convinced that if we just see Abraham and Moses, their experience of trusting in God, we will learn an enormous amount about what our lives will look like if we trust in that same God. So first of all, Abraham. And Abraham teaches us that saving faith is faith that trusts God's purposes in the face of uncertainty, weakness and mystery. Let's just look down at verse 8 of chapter 11 here. This chapter focuses on three key moments in Abraham's life. Verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. See, Abraham responded to God's word to him by obeying. He went, he left his old life, and he went to where God told him to go, even though he did not know, verse 8, where he was going. See, Abraham trusted God in the midst of great uncertainty. And then look at verses 11 to 12. Abraham's wife Sarah couldn't have children. When God promised them a son, Abraham himself was past age. I always like verse 12. It's so delicate. He says he's as good as dead. And it's not very PC really, but... But but that's the description of Abraham here. But you see, Abraham and Sarah trusted in God's purposes for them and God was able to overcome their weakness and enable them to have a son, Isaac. And you just need to look at Genesis and see their faith was not without its stumbling points. They, They got it wrong several times. But the overall direction of their lives was to trust in God that he was able to overcome their weakness. And then in verses 17 to 19, there is God's test of Abraham. When God tells Abraham to offer that child of promise, Isaac, as a sacrifice to him. And Abraham didn't know why God was telling him to sacrifice his one and only son, 
But after a lifetime of witnessing the goodness and faithfulness of God, he chose to trust in God's purposes. Let me just read verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, amazingly, in the face of a terrible mystery, at a moment where Abraham just could not understand what God was doing, he still chose to trust God's purposes for him. And God richly blessed him and his family. I hope we can see the parallels between Abraham's life and the situation the Hebrew Christians find themselves in in the first century. These Christians were facing hostility and ridicule, both from their own Jewish community and from their Roman rulers. They felt uncertain about the future. Can we keep going, they were asking. Can we really trust that the future God's got in store for us, that it's worth it? They felt weak. They, they knew that they were about as likely to persevere as Abraham and Sarah were likely to have a child in their old age. And they also knew what it was to be face to face with mystery in their dealings with God. The fact they did not always know why God allowed certain things to happen to them. But see, the writer of the Hebrews points them to Abraham and says, look at him. He discovered God to be faithful even in uncertainty, to be strong even in our weakness, to know what he was doing even when we don't know. See, the writer says, look at Abraham. See how God transformed him. He is able to transform you. See, the middle section of this chapter, verses 13 onwards, the bit that um, Kitty read out for us earlier. Again, it's so future-focused. It reminds us that Abraham was the beginning of God, beginning to, to, to transform his world, the beginning of God's salvation in the world. But you see, Abraham didn't get to see the culmination of that. Verse 13 tells us he was still living by faith when he died. He only got to see the new creation God was bringing about from a distance. He had to be patient. He didn't see the end from the beginning. And that, the writer tells us, is the life of faith. Will we trust God's purposes even when we do not see all his goodness and and generosity to us here and now? See, it's very easy just to focus on our current struggles the uncertainties, the weakness, the mystery. We see, Abraham calls us here to be patient. We get impatient so quickly. We want to create heaven here and now. And we'll do it at any cost sometimes through, through our financial resources, through relationships. We, just, we want to have everything now. We're not satisfied with a fallen world. And at one level, that's good. We shouldn't be satisfied with it. But we also are called to be patient. God knows what he is doing. He is bringing about his salvation. And like Abraham, we might not see it in our lifetime. But we can trust him. That he will fulfill every one of the promises he has made about that city 
verse 10, whose foundations and architect and builder is God. About the new Jerusalem that we're promised. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, be patient. Take heart from the promises of God and keep trusting in him as you wait for Jesus to return. That is the lesson that Abraham has for us in Hebrews 11. And then Moses, the other great figure in this chapter, reminds us that the life of faith is a life that chooses to fear God more than this world. To be patient about the future, but in the present, to honour God. See, according to the writer of Hebrews, the key moments in Moses' life all centred around a choice And it's a choice that faces every Christian here this morning, every day of our lives. Who are we going to fear? That's the choice before us. Will we fear the world around us? Or will we fear the God who has called us? Just look at verse 23 of Hebrews 11. Let's read that aloud for us. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, Moses' parents did not fear the king of Egypt. They recognized their son was special. They recognized that that God had prepared him for something great, so they kept him safe. They chose to fear God rather than Pharaoh. Then verses 24 to 26 By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. See, Moses could have stayed in Pharaoh's palace. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince of Egypt but he chose to be ill-treated with God's people because he feared God more than this world he knew that what life was ultimately about was a relationship with this covenant faithful God and that was what was of supreme value to Moses verse 27 he did not fear the king's anger instead he chose to fear the invisible but living God. And that's the choice before the original readers of this letter. It's the choice before every single one of us. And it's a choice that faces us every day of our lives and actually every moment of every day. Who am I going to fear right now? Am I going to fear what others think of me? Am I going to fear what others see me as and therefore live accordingly? Or am I going to fear the living God whose Son Jesus has rescued me from this world and has a glorious reward in store for me? We can be encouraged to know that Moses stumbled in that. He did not always perfectly fear God. But that is the choice Moses poses to us. Who are we going to fear today? To be faithful to the faithful God, we need to fear him supremely. To live 
for Him. To honour Him in our lives. Moses basically calls us to to a life of radical obedience. To choose disgrace instead of honour. Because that's what Jesus chose in our place. He humbled Himself. He chose disgrace so that we could know honour. So we could know life. According to Hebrews 11, saving faith is not simply about believing the right doctrines about God. It's about trusting Him in relationship with Him and honouring Him and believing the promises He has for us and also believing that those promises have the power to transform us by God's Spirit. See, sometimes we can read a chapter like Hebrews 11 and come away feeling a bit depressed, really. Because we look at these, these heroes of faith and say, well, that isn't me. I just reflect, even on the last week, I, I'm not fearing God. I'm fearing the people around me. I'm not looking ahead to my reward. I want my reward now. I, I'm impatient for it now. But with, as we finish this chapter, we need to recognise there is a vital truth that stands behind all the descriptions of faith here. This, this life of faith, this life of, of radical obedience to Jesus cannot be lived simply by us trying harder, simply by us disciplining ourselves more. It cannot be lived in our own strength. The writer is clear about that. He wants us to see that the life of faith rests on God's faithfulness, not our own. Just look at verse 11 again with me. Abraham believed he'd be a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Or verse 19, Abraham's willing to sacrifice Isaac because he reasoned that God could raise the dead. Or verse 27, Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. It's not ultimately the quality or the strength of Moses' faith the writer wants us to to remember here. It's the object of their faith. It's God, the faithful God who kept them. And again, we need to see in the Old Testament, the faith of God's people is so often weak and faltering. Just look at verse 29 with me. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. That refers back to the book of Exodus and the Israelites about to leave Egypt. But when you actually read that account in Exodus 14, they look anything but an example of faith. They're terrified. They're almost paralysed by fear. They're moaning at Moses for taking them out of Egypt in the first place. They are not an example to us of faith, except the writer says they are. Because in spite of their fear, in spite of their wavering, they did ultimately step forward into the path God had prepared for them through the Red Sea. And they were saved as a result. And see, there is great comfort for the Hebrew Christians and for any Christian who's aware of their weakness in that. A faltering faith can still go forward as long as the object of our faith is sound 
Just picture for a minute a, a lake frozen over in the winter. See, what matters if you want to walk across that lake is not the quality of your faith. You can have astonishing faith. Run across it. It will crack and you will drown if the ice isn't strong enough to bear your weight. If the ice is strong enough to bear your weight, you can put one foot out, then another foot out, and stumble and and waver and try and get a rope and just be absolutely terrified the whole time, but it will carry your weight. Because it's the object of your faith that counts. And for these discouraged Christians, for us today, we need to see that faith is not about how we can drum up some sort of supernatural religious affection. It ultimately rests on the fact that God can bear our weight. God is faithful. He is the hero of faith in this chapter. And that is what we need to take away from it this morning. We need to keep going back to him and depending on him step by step by step into the future he has prepared for us if we will only be patient and trust him. In a few minutes, we're going to take bread and wine together. We're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. And that's fitting. Because if you glance over to the beginning of chapter 12 of Hebrews, the writer feels he cannot finish a meditation on the life of faith without considering Jesus. Without considering the supreme demonstration of God's faithfulness to us, to faithless people. And so he finishes by lifting our eyes to Jesus. Let me just read from chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus' faithfulness can overcome our faithlessness. And he does that through his death at the cross.